Cricket Love Stories with me, Neil Kagram, and today we're joined by Tatenda Taibu. Tatenda, thank you for your time. How are you keeping during these uncertain I'm times? Yeah, I'm all right. Um, I mean, you know, it's, it's quite a, a scary time, especially, you know, for someone that's in Europe. Um, you know, obviously, you know, keeping track of the number of people that are infected with this um, virus. Um, but just to keep saying, we, you know, I have a set program with my family that we, that we follow um, religiously. And, um, you know, it keeps us uh, quite busy. And, um, you know, for us, it's a, it's a bit of a positive that we, you know, we get to spend time together. Because obviously being um, an international cricketer at a young age got me traveling, you know, quite early. And after I finished playing, I got into coaching and, um, you know, continue to travel. So um, it's, it'll be a time to spend, you know, a significant number of months with my family. So let's take it back to your childhood, born in Harare, Zimbabwe. Where did the interest in cricket first spark for you? So Zimbabwe Cricket Union, um, which is ZC with uh, Zimbabwe Cricket now, um, they were doing a program to spread cricket into the four corners of the country. So cricket was just a minority sport, you know, played by only the rich. Now, uh, so that program was to, uh, to spread cricket into the uh, high-density suburbs. Now, I lived in Highfield, in Harare, uh, which is a, a high-density suburb. And my, one of my, well, my primary school was one of the schools that was picked for that program. So, so it was introduced as a PE lesson. So, you know, anyone that had, well, that the coaches thought had natural ability um, would then be invited for the afternoon cricket session, uh, which was from, um, from two to five. So um, my coach, Stephen Mangongo, thought I had natural ability and I was enrolled, uh, you know, to, to start playing. Um, and that's how I, 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 I took on the sport. And then did you play club cricket from there? So, so what then happened was, so that's, that's in school, I was in grade four at that time. Um, and then, so it was just schools cricket. So we would play uh, against the other schools that were in that area. Um, and then after that, we started playing against um, other group A schools. Um, well, not other group A schools, but we were group B school, but we started playing against group A schools because we were doing quite well. We beat all the other schools that were... Um, uh, that were in this competition um, or, or that had cricket introduced. And then we started winning in that. So, um, and, and, and um, so during that time, before I got into high school, our coach then decided for us to join uh, um, a club which is now called Takashinga. So at that time, it was an all blacks, um, all blacks club, and the only blacks club that was available at the time. So, so we joined the club, and, but it was more schools cricket that we came through. And then when we went to high school, we then played more club cricket and that's how we progressed. And then you must have had um, immense success because am I correct in saying in 1999, 2000, that period, 
you were um, asked to be um, to go on the West Indies tour um, as cover for Andy Flower, and then a few months later, you were also put on standby um, in England at the Trent Bridge Test match. Um, this was all before. Am I correct in saying you played actually a first-class game? That is true. <laughs> That's true. Um, I progressed really quickly. Um, to be honest, I, it was just one thing after another. And, um, you know, it was really rapid. Uh, it was at a really rapid pace that even I could not comprehend. You were 16 so, years old, am I correct in saying? I was 16 years old. I was still in school. Um, and yes, I had not played first-class cricket. I had done well in club cricket. Um, but I think... Uh, there was a very strong uh, recommendation that came from Paul String. Now, Paul String was our interim coach, under-19 coach. He was recovering from an injury. So he then took us as the coach to Sri Lanka when we played the under-19 World Cup. Now, even for under-19, I was two years underage. So now he then wrote a very strong report about me. And, you know, he basically said, um, you know, if we're looking for a keeper that will take over from Andy, this is the boy. And then am I correct in saying, um, when it came to Mashunaland, your first, um, you know, when you made your first class debut, it was slightly delayed because you actually went to the wrong ground initially. Yes. Is there a little story there? You can tell us? Yes. So, <laughs> so it's quite a funny story. I mean, it's, it's funny now. It wasn't funny then. Um, so what happened was this. Um, I, I came back from the, from the under-19 tour. And then my coach wasn't really pleased with my, you know, with my performance there. I, I played well, but he thought, I, you, know, and fair, you know, fair play to him. He thought I had more potential than I had I'd shown. Now, I only scored a couple of 50s. Um, I didn't have any hundreds. And he thought I should have come back with a couple of hundreds. Now, um, so, so anyway, we had a meeting and he was telling me how disappointed he was in me. And, um, and then at the end of the meeting, he says, well, did you receive a call? You are going to play your first first game, your first, your debut for Mashonaland. So I said, no, I haven't, told, I haven't been told anything. They said, don't worry, I'm sure when you get home, there is going to be word for you. Now, remember this, around about the time the cell phones has just come into, you know, um, you know into the world. And um, so we depended on landline. So I, I thought, well, by the time I get home, there's going to be a message for me. So I get home and I asked everyone and, um, well, there hadn't been a message. And the game was the following day, you know. And now I hadn't practiced with the team. I didn't know anything. I'm just a 16-year-old boy. So now I thought, well, if I don't have, um, if I don't have anything now, this is now about you know eight o'clock at night. Now you've got the the directory. Um, you can only get the ZC number, and which is you know obviously um, the landline as well. And but eight o'clock, the offices are closed. So the only thing that I could do was to either go to the offices early in the morning or to wait to call at eight o'clock. So I thought, well, 
if the game is at sports club, at Harare Sports Club, the offices were at Harare Sports Club, if I go there, then I would have half a chance. So I make sure that by eight o'clock, I would be at the offices. Now, this is to ask where the game is because no one had made contact. So um, now the game, so by eight o'clock now, obviously having played a few games, club cricket, you know, you name it, I knew, you obviously know that by eight o'clock, teams would have started warming up. So I saw that there was no action at, at Harare Sports Club. So there was only one other ground where the game could be. And that was um, at um, CFX Academy in Newlands. So I decided not to waste time to, you know, to wait at Harare Sports Club until the offices were open, but just to quickly rush to, to Newlands where the game was. So um, I then had to ask my sister to come and pick me up, to take me to the ground. So obviously, you know, um, time is moving. And when I get there, the, to the toast was about to be done. So that's what, um, you know, what transpired. That's what happened. So then you actually progressed um, at the age of 17, am I correct in saying, to be picked in the Test and ODI series um, against West Indies at home. Mm -hmm. Did you feel ready at that age? A young man played a handful of first class games. What was going on in your mind? Everything just come so quickly. What I didn't have those questions in my mind. I didn't have those, uh, you know, my ready questions in my mind because what was ready for me, you know, things were just happening too quickly. I, you know, I didn't think that I was going to be able to make the, the under 19 team two years underage. I didn't know that by the end of the term, I would be a regular in the team. Um, I didn't know that I would be selected and join the national team, you know, to join West Indies. So I didn't know what ready was. I just saw, you know, things happening fast and I don't understand, I didn't understand what was going on and I just accepted what was going on and that's it. And, you know, growing up um, in a place where you don't have a lot of history about the sport, where you don't have access to know a lot more things about the sport, you don't know what's normal and what's abnormal. So you just go with the flow. So I just, you know, to me it was, okay, I've been selected. Andy Flower thinks I'm good enough because I heard him say, you know, something and I used to practice with him and he used to say a lot of positives about me. And he was my hero and I thought, well, he thinks I'm good enough, so I'm, I am good enough. That's all that I, I knew. So, and, 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 you know, the funny thing about that test match that on my debut, there was an injury. Stuart Kalau broke his finger. And then the coach came in, he says, we've got the so we need a number three batsman in the second innings and um he said um any thoughts and what did i do i raised my hand i said i can bet number three so uh, there was nothing i didn't fear anything i didn't fear anything i just you know i didn't think much about it i just saw it as an opportunity because i you know i thought myself as a batsman who can give so, so I thought, well, there is an opportunity. I can, if I score runs, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll continue being number three for, for the national team. And then the following year, you actually then represented 
um, Zimbabwe in the Under-19 World Cup. You were named player of the tournament. Zimbabwe win the plate competition. So you didn't make it through the kind of the group stages, but you won the plate competition. You're player of the tournament. Am I correct in saying you actually performed all four disciplines, i.e. you kept and you bowled as well? Yes, yes. Um, yeah. Did you, um, as you said before, you're, you, you made your debut in the, in the mm. first team, the proper test team, as a batsman, wicketkeeper. Did you have aspirations? Did you think you could also make it as a bowler? Um, I think I could have. If, um, you know, I mean, wicketkeeping is a, is a specialist position. And, um, you know, I had to make up, I had to make my mind up, you know, as to what I wanted to do. But you see, even, even to date, I learn by watching. You could introduce a sport that I haven't played, that I haven't seen, you could introduce it to me right now, and I would watch it enough. And then when I then check the court or whatever, you know, arena where it's played, you would be surprised I would have at least the, the basics. So I learn quickly, I learn by watching. And, um, and, and obviously, you know, spending a lot of time keeping, I would know what the bowlers are supposed to do. You know, I would be able to pick up the weaknesses of the batsmen. And, um, and I, you know, obviously being a captain, I used to go for the bowlers meetings and even have an input to say, we should do this to this guy, we should do this. We, you know, mind you, I used to bowl as well. Right? I used to bowl off spin. And even at club cricket, how I came on to bowl in the Under-19 World Cup was that my first coach, Stephen Mangongo, was also um, the club coach. And I had won games for the club bowling at times. So I would keep for the first 15 overs, take off my pads, bowl my 10 overs straight, and then at 35 overs, I would come back and keep again for the rest of the game. And I had sometimes, uh, I think my best figures um, at club cricket was um, uh, 6 for 30 or something like that. And that I used to just bowl in the middle period. So, so he knew that there was, you know, obviously um, that aspect of my game that people didn't know about that the main coach didn't know about. Our main coach was um, uh, Steve Rhodes, uh, from who used to you know, uh, play for Worcester. So, so he said, look, if you're looking for someone who can give you 10 overs and guaranteed 10 overs in every game, he's your wicketkeeper. And he says, how, how do you think you can do it? He said, well, just call him. Then I was called into a meeting, and um, he said, um, you know, well, Mangongo tells me this. I said, yeah, I can do it. He says, sure. are you sure? You're captain, you're betting number three. You want to keep and you can ball as well. Won't it be too heavy for you? I said, look, I, I love my cricket. And um, sometimes I know how to win. And I can do it and it can work. And, um, and because of that, I was virtually getting men of the match, you know, um, you know, many times, and if not, I was voted second or third, which accumulated the points for me to end up being player of the tournament. Did also then captaincy come naturally to you as well? I am told so. Uh, it's something that I would not, you know, be able to say, you know, yeah, it comes naturally. I am told that uh, 
when I speak in front of a group of people or in, in front of uh, you know, a, 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 a team, I am told that I speak with, with so much conviction and, um, uh, and authority that uh, you know, people you know, seem to want to follow that, um, you know, the path that I would have said. I'm also told that I, um, you know, I, 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 I believe in, well, I, I lead by example. Um, like, for, you know, I know I would not be, you know, the last one to be on the fitness, um, on the team fitness uh, line. I would not be the, you know, the last one to paid up when it's time to start practicing. I would not be, you know, the last one. I'll be the last one to leave practice. You know, I would be one of the first that would be there doing my own practice. Um, you know, and also when I was when I was um, national team captain, I used to have a net at my house, and when the player would be struggling, I used to, you know, bring him to my house and then, um, you know, work on it. Um, so. And, and these are things that I would do away from the public side. So I'm told that I would just end respect from players by the little gestures that I would do on individuals. Um, and thereby, when I spoke, everyone, you know, thought that there was, um, you know, there, there was a connection between me and the player. So those are the main things that people talk about. Um, so I'm made to believe that it comes naturally. Yes. And then the following year, 2003, um, South Africa, Zimbabwe and Kenya co-host the World Cup. Uh, was that a proud moment for you? Um, in, effect, in effect, a home World Cup being picked for that. I know you said everything has come um, to, you, to you very quickly, but... Um, mm that moment, a home World Cup, proud moment? Oh, yes. Um, for me, it was not, it was now away from personal gratification. Now it was about the growth of the sport in the country. Now, for me, it was a moment to show the country that, um, you know, this sport could actually become the number one sport in the country ahead of football. Um, and, and I knew that I was one of the faces for that because look, it's, it's, it's a country where the minority, uh, which mostly were white would be playing the sport. And then now you've got a young black player who is doing well at the international level. And should he do well at this big stage, the world cup, how many other kids would want to beat a tender. So that's how I looked at that World Cup. And I reckon we, that's, that's um, how cricket started being popular, more popular in Zimbabwe, um, at least among the black majority. So, and I reckon had we continued on that road uh, for five to 10 years, cricket would be the number one sport in Zimbabwe. And then that um, tournament, Zimbabwe cricket, is also very well documented about Andy Flower and Henry Alonga, the black armband protests, and there was a death 
to de democracy in Zimbabwe. Were the players and yourself, did you know that that protest was going to take place before that first game against um, Namibia? Some of the players knew that it was going to take place. Uh, some of the older players. Now, I was, you know, I was quite young. I was just, I was just 20. So um, I, I, I didn't know. I knew the day before. Um, other players knew a week or, you know, three, four days before. I only knew the day before. And this is how it happened. And um, Andy Flower and I used to be interviewed together most of the times. So as usual, we were taken onto the pitch at Harare Sports Club, close to the pitch. And, um, and they would ask Andy Flower a question, he would answer, and then they would ask me, and we, you know, we continued like that. And then would ask, would answer, you know, similarly. And until this question came, and that was, Andy, do you think England should travel and come to Zimbabwe to play against Zimbabwe? And then Andy said, so we were sitting back to back. Then Andy said, no, I don't think England should come. So I turned my head like this to think, Andy, what are you on about? You know? So anyway, the question then came to me. And um, I said, um, I think they should come because you know, I'm a professional cricketer. If, um, uh, if I'm not playing cricket, I don't get paid. So, you know, if there's no cricket for me, then how am I going to be any? So that was what, that was my answer. And then on the way back, I said, Andy, what was that all about? I said, we are professional cricketers. If we're not playing cricket, then really we should be looking for something else to do. So England not coming here uh, doesn't do good for us. So then Andy said, you know what, you know what, um, you know what Tiba, there are a lot of things that's going to, that's going to be happening. Um, he said, you've been playing well. You continue to improve at such a rate. Um, you are going to become a leader very soon. My advice to you is keep concentrating on that. Um, you know, you've got a long career ahead of you. And, um, you know, make sure that you, you know, you keep progressing. So um, then he said, you will hear plenty of things are going to happen starting from tomorrow. Just pay no attention to it. So I, I respected Andy, not only respected, I still respect him to date. So um, because he told me that, I didn't pick my nose into, you know, into what it was. Um, I just, you know, let it go. And then um, on the playing field itself, obviously you mentioned England didn't then travel to Zimbabwe, so you get the points from that. There was a, a rained off match against Pakistan, so you make it through to the Super Sixes. Did it disappoint you that you didn't uh, claim a scalp against any of the other major test playing nations? You also lost Kenya. So on the field, from a cricketing perspective, was it a disappointing tournament? Um, as an individual, I played well. Um, and, you know, we, as a team, we started off really well. And then up until, you know, when I say we started, really, started off really well, I'm not talking about just ultimate results. 
I'm talking about the preparation leading to the tournament and then the team morale that was there, you know, during the tournament. For me, that was, you know, some of the best unified team that I've been part of. So, and I felt that even had we played all the games, um, I reckon we had a chance to, because normally you just need to, you know, to win one of the bigger teams during, during that time. I know that it's changed now, but during that time, you only needed to win one of the bigger, other bigger teams. So, um, I mean, take for example, we lost to India, but we, we played really well against India. We actually contained them. Had we betted well, we would have won that game. Now, you, you take Australia, um, we lost in the 40, 48th over. Um, we betted really well in Blawayo and we lost in the 48th over. And you take New Zealand in the, you know, you take um, New Zealand in the, um, um, on the, in the second round, in the Super Six. Super Six, yeah. We scored, I think, um, 260, 260-something, if I'm not mistaken and which was a good score on a slow deck in Bloemfontein. Um, and uh, Nathan Astor then took, you know, took that away from us. Now, that was the end. Um, New Zealand was the end of that little patch that I'm talking about, the team spirit and un unified group, because we started having some problems in the team. Um, you know, starting off, on the very morning that we played, um, we played Kenya. So there was a selection between, um, you know, the, the, the selectors were having it tough in selecting, in finding who to select between Dion Ibrahim and Sean Evan. Now, and I feel it was not a matter of ability that was used today or, or, or current form. It was a matter of race. Um, Sean Evan had helped us. Um, when we played New Zealand, I played well, his trick played well, and Sean Evan played well. But then the selectors then um, dropped Dion Ibrahim. Sorry, they dropped Sean Evan to bring in Dion Ibrahim. Now, Dion Ibrahim was a good player, but Dion Ibrahim was going through a, a little Page, and I think personally, I think Sean Evans should have continued to play, but the selectors were pushing for Dion Ibrahim as a player of color to be in the team. So the other players didn't take that lightly. So there was a little bit, you know. So that that squabble, it wasn't nothing was said, but you can you can tell that you know something is going on and you know in that morning we used to be we used to have two vans and we used to go you know we used to wait for everyone until we you know until everyone is there then we leave for the ground but when i got to the bus the other bus had gone already so things like that we had set ourselves rules that you know we would do everything as a team so um, anyway, we lost that game and then we then played Sri Lanka and we knocked out. Um, but 
on the field, I experienced some of the best unified times that I've, I've, um, I've experienced playing for Zimbabwe. And then a few months later, you tour England. You become the vice captain, um, Andy Flower and Henry Longa, no longer part of the team. He streaked the, the skipper. Now that test match, test series, two match test series was best known for Jimmy Anderson's debut. Do you recognise the talent in him there? I know he got a five for on debut, but was he the, the greatness? Him, um, I, I remember facing him. Um, I remember him swinging the ball both ways, but um, you know, predominantly away. Then when he tried, he, he just tried one, um, you know, swinging one back uh, to me, which um, it hit me on the pads, but it, you know, it moved a long way. And and I was surprised that he didn't try that again, um, you know, because it really moved a long way and his away swingers were going a big, you know, we're, you know, we're bending bananas. So um, that's what I remember about him. Uh, I just remember that, you know, this guy could swing the ball both ways a fair bit. And then in 2004, you become the, the captain of Zimbabwe, age 20. Mm-hmm. You must have felt pressure. That's what people... That's what people say, <laughs> but um, you know, like, you know, like it was with my life. I just, you know, it it was, it was normally abnormal. You know, it's it's it's. I I was concentrating so much on progressing as a cricketer to even think about captaincy, and I always thought that. I am a batsman before I'm a captain. It doesn't matter how good a captain I can be in field positions and things like that. If I don't score a hundred as a batsman, I'm not doing the team justice. If I don't take every catch that comes my way, I'm not doing my team any justice. So I always looked at it that I'm a batsman before I'm a captain. I'm a wicketkeeper before I'm a captain. So I concentrate when I'm betting, I concentrate on the ball that I'm facing before I think about anything else. So, so, so for me, captaincy was at the back seat of my betting or my keeping. So I would concentrate to watch the ball that, that hit streak was bowling or Raymond Price was bowling. Once I've dealt with that, once I've got that in the hand or that ball has gone to the covers, then I can think about food placing. So I always looked at the situ- as the captaincy, um, you know, from a backseat kind, of, um, kind of thing. So, so, yeah, so to answer the question, I, I didn't feel any pressure because I always, I kept my focus on progressing as a batsman and a wicketkeeper. Did you then feel there were external issues that comes with being the leader then? On the field, you're saying you're very much concentrating on the batsmanship skill set side of things. But off the field, I know in 2005, um, you kind of led your own protest about um, about financial um, 
financial issues, inequity mm. in Zimbabwean cricket. Mm. So externally, away from the field, did you feel that was your responsibility as the captain? Um, yes, I felt that. Um, so, so to begin with, now this is a, you know, I'd entered into a world that I didn't know of. Now, this is now the world of meetings outside of the cricket field or outside of the cricket circle, your, your cricket teammates or your management, your cricket management team. Now you are getting into meetings with board members. You are getting into meetings with, um, you know, sports ministers and such like. And now that's an area that I was not accustomed to. So to begin with, you start to learn about how that goes. So a lot of listening and less talking um you know so so now once i started to learn about that side of cricket that i didn't know of i got really disappointed um because i had a connection with almost each player or really virtually each player that i you know i shared the field with and i pretty much knew where each player lived and I made it the point that I would visit and make them visit my place so that we, it's not like we just only know each other on the field. I wanted us to have, I wanted to know how they grew, you know, how they grew up, how they were living. I wanted to know what it means uh, for me or for him when I ask for the best two overs at 4.30 if, you know, when I'm asking a, fast, a young fast bowler who could get injured by giving me his best two offers at 4.30. So, so I now knew that on the playing field, all the players would give me whatever I asked. They would give me my 100%. I was even afraid of asking certain bowlers to bowl at certain times because I knew they would try to do it for me and they would give 100% for me. But now, come the flip side. Now, I know this player has got a, a, a father who is mentally disturbed and has got a mother who has to go to our neighboring countries to buy some clothes um, you know, to sell, for resale so that they support this player who is playing international cricket but cannot support his father and mother that won't make sense to anyone with you know with a heart so it didn't make sense to me because i i know what an international cricketer should be getting and then you so yeah no, sorry yes. continue no continue sorry yes. so now so, so, so I'm just giving a few examples of players that, yes, they're just coming into the national team, but they should be getting something that's respectable. And, it, and I know that these players could get injured. Once they get injured, there was, no, there was, hardly, excuse me, there was hardly any record where a player would get injured. Um, you know, have a major injury, and then Zimbabwe cricket would continue to look after this player up until they come back, you know, from that injury. So I knew that there was a risk that when 
such a player gets injured under my care as a captain, then they might not come back. So they had to be, uh, uh, you know, uh, proper medical facilities in place. The, you know, players have got to be on medical aid. So those are the things that I was, um, I started raising my voice to. And because, then did ministers yes. listen? I know you've documented a lot mm. in your autobiography, Keeper of mm. Faith. Mm. Um, but maybe you can just recount one of the stories about how you went to one of the ministers and you just got chopped basically an envelope and it mm. contained some yeah. protest imagery. So, but maybe you can just say that story. Yeah. So what happened was that I, um, you know, I got called for this meeting and. Um, um, so it was actually the minister of was in charge of um, the minister of information and technology. So I, I went in, and when we started chatting, I could tell probably within five minutes I could tell that this side he was on, and I knew that it was on my side. Uh, so I knew that I was there for him to convince me um, to change sides or to, to see things his way. Now, I didn't need anyone to tell me another point of view. I knew exactly what was going on. I had been in the meetings. So I had two choices. One, to just keep quiet and just listen to him and you know, pretend like I was agreeing and then just go back and live normally. Or, to just tell him the other side that he might not know, but that meant I'm going against him. Now, I'm, I've never believed, I've never thought of myself to be a coward. Because I think that a coward dies a thousand deaths before he's actually, he's actually dead. So I decided not to be a coward. So I told him what I felt where i felt zimbabwe was going with all the what was happening zimbabwe cricket that is and as i didn't expect what came after that um but he you know we went outside um you know he was going to travel with the president that evening so he wanted to sort out his passport and things so we went he took some photos outside so we chatting and we when we came back into his office he just went into his drawer, pulled up an envelope and threw it on the table. He didn't say anything. He just went, then he went onto the window. Um, he went, you know, just um, against the window and he started looking outside. Now, my mind raced and I thought, I have seen things like this on TV, movies, but these things actually do happen in real life, you know. But now I didn't know what was in the envelope. So then I, I picked up, then I, I opened the envelope and I started having, you know, a look at the, you know, it was, it was pictures, photo pictures. And um, it was pictures of, of dead people. Now, I only had, I only looked at about, you know, five to seven pictures and some of them were quite disgusting for me to even continue to, to look. But also my mind was racing, thinking, what does this mean? So I pretended like I was, you know, I was having a look at the rest of them. Um, and then 
I then just put them back in an envelope and I said, thank you. Um, the time, luckily, the, I don't know what I was going to say after that because you know, luckily the time was, was up because I had already told him that I, you know, I had a meeting that was coming up um, and another meeting that was coming up and I had to rush off for that other meeting. So I said, thank you very much for your time. I'm sure we'll see each other soon. And then that was it. Yes, and you've also stated in your book, um, Activists from Mugabe's PF, um, you know, the act activists, they also, you're also receiving calls threatening to beat you up as well. Did you fear for your life during that period? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, was, that was probably the scariest time of my life. Um, no doubt the scariest time of you know, my wife's life. Um, so this is just one you know, incident that I, talk, that I just talked about. But we were virtually getting calls on a daily basis. Um, not only cell phone, not only my cell phone, not only Loveness's cell phone, um, on the landline as well. Um, you know, we, we had to tell our gardener not to, you know, to, 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 to open the gate. Um, you know, when we, were, when, when we were not there or even when we were there and we didn't open the gate, we asked him not to even go to the gate. If someone didn't, didn't call us that they were coming to visit us, they would just get, get to the gate and turn back. So we were getting calls. We were getting cars that would just, you know, be parked at our house. Um, we would be, would have cars following us, um, you know, up until we thought, you know what, this is really, we, we're struggling to sleep now. Um, yes, a little later, we then got security from the governor, um, you know, the, the, Dr. Gono. Uh, but even with that, we ended up having to, um, you know, to leave the house. We stayed in a hotel for a bit when my older boy, uh, TJ, was 10 days old at the time. Um, and, um, and that's what then led us to leave the country. Yeah, so then you retire from international cricket in November 2005. You take exile, am I correct in saying, in several countries? Bangladesh, Libya, South Africa? Am I correct in saying? So it, was, it, was, it was Bangladesh, then England. Then I, when I was in England, I started making plans to go to South Africa. And then the person that I was speaking to is uh, Gerald Majola. Uh, he was the CEO for Cricket South Africa. He then told the, um, the Zimbabwe cricket CEO. Um, and, you know, because, you know, he had spilled the beans and I had to go another direction. So I, I decided to go to Namibia. Was it ever your plan to sit out that four-year qualification period and perhaps qualify playing cricket for another, mm -hmm. another nation? Yes, that was the plan. That was what I discussed with Majola, um, you know, for, for several weeks. And we had the whole plan set up and, you know, and I said, look, I'm not, I don't mind, um, you know, uh, being uh, away from international cricket for four years. Um, I still feel I've got a lot to, to offer to international cricket. So uh, I wanted to do that. And um, that's, you know, that's what he spilled. 
to um, to Ozias Bute, who was our CEO. And then you returned to play for Zimbabwe in 2007. Yeah. Was it just a case of, as you said, you had you felt felt as if you had so much more to give? Was that the the main reason behind it, or did you feel that you could? act as the key figure to, to change things still going forward? No, 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 no. I think in terms of changing things, I, I knew that it was going to be hard to get things to be changed just considering what I had gone through. And the players were so scared that, you know, there was never going to be any, any change. So it wasn't on those bases. I wasn't thinking of um, of coming back, I had made up my mind that I was almost just about to buy one of the academies in Namibia, and and then I get a call from um, a, a, a gentleman who was now the main sponsor for Zimbabwe cricket. Uh, he used to be the main sponsor for, for his company was uh, Croco Motors. So he says, uh, Tatenda, I've just arrived. Uh, at the airport, I'm coming to see you. So do you have some time? So I said, yeah, we can do lunch. So I said, well, that's fine. So we went for lunch and, um, and uh, we spoke about life and things. And then he says, look, without wasting time, I've come here to try and convince you to come back and play. You are winning games for Namibia. Um, we are losing games. And, you know, you are one of the stars of the country. Why don't you come back? I'm investing a lot of money into Zimbabwe cricket. Um, and I know you, you know, you love your cricket. I know you can do a lot for the country. So I'm trying to convince you to come back and play. I said, no, 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 that's, that's not going to happen. Um, and he says, okay, look, I know there's this that happened, this that happened, um, but you know, I'm also connected. Um, what if I ask you, I leave you with a question, um, and then I'll come back again next Saturday. So he says, what would you want to see for you to come back? So he said, I'll be back again. He says, I'll fly and I'll come back again next Saturday. So in the meantime, here's my number. Let's communicate. So I said, okay. So I then called him. I said, if you come, I said, I said the only way is if I uh, write my own contract. So he says, no, I've never heard anything like that. I said, I want to try, I want a contract where I am not attached to Zimbabwe cricket. I can play, but I'm not really attached to Zimbabwe cricket. So he says, look, I, I will need to think about it and see if it can be done. Then um, he obviously, you know, um, uh, he obviously called whatever lawyers and whatever the people that he got legal advice from. And um, then he says, look, what if I come with a contract and then I ask you to amend it? Would that work? I said it would work perfectly fine for me. So that's, what, that's how, how I ended up, you know, going back uh, to play. So we did a contract. I was under Zimbabwe cricket, but not really under Zimbabwe cricket. That's why you see, I never then kept in after that because I wasn't really part of Zimbabwe cricket. 
I hardly did any interviews, you know, um, during that period. I would just play, and I and that's the period that I played some of my best cricket. Yeah. So that first ODI series back, he scored a century against that formidable South African attack containing Pollock and Tini, Monimoko, Philander. Would you rate that as your best innings in your career? Uh, yes, yes, that's um, definitely one of my best. Um, yeah, I just had, um, you know, there was a little bit of, uh, can say a little bit of good beef between me and South Africa. So I always was able to uh, to pull up another gear whenever I played South Africa. And then obviously during this period, Zimbabwe weren't playing test cricket up until 2011 i know the back end of your career you did play test cricket but is there still part of you that feels that the peak years of your career were lost oh yes definitely i uh, my peak years of my career uh, i mean i retired at 29 um normally that's when they say you're reaching your peak um and when we when we were away from test cricket i was world number 27. Uh, i remember that not that not that i would follow the ratings but i remember that because there was a big article that i had overtaken ganguly in a series when we were playing india uh, we were playing india in in zimbabwe in 2005. so um and i had aspirations to be one of the best at some at some stage so, so definitely, yes, I, I, a lot of, you know, cricket was taken away from me. So in your last test match and ODI appearance came against New Zealand in 2012. You said retirement came at 29. What were your plans moving forward from there? Mm. So, look, during that period, I think that last year of my cricket from 2000 and, um, you know, around about... Uh, with the time we played the World Cup, the 2011 World Cup to the time I retired, cricket was not priority for me. Now, all my other years, cricket was priority. You know, everything had to take a back seat. But I'd started asking myself life questions. Um, you know, because, I mean, I think I'd gone through a lot to, to you know, to get me to ask those questions. Um, obviously also a lot of disappointments, um, you know, a lot of heartaches and things like that. So, so I started to ask myself what all this was all about. You know, you, you, we read about the greats. Um, I don't think I've ever, I've only ever, only ever watched one video of Don Rodman. Um, but we read about him and we hear about him and we hear about um, Viv Richards, we hear about Richie Richardson, we hear about you know, Kapil Dev, um, Ravi Shastri. And, and, and you think, um, you know, you name it, Ian Botham and them. And you think, that's, they're just names now. You know? And so I, I used to ask my wife, I would say, love this. Um, what then? Um, I say another game will come, that game will go, another game will you start practicing for another game. And I said, there will come a time when my body can't do this no more. I said, then what? I said, trophies 
will soon be forgotten. I mean, this is, I like to be true to myself. These questions are real and true. And obviously, because we are human, we try to, you know, to hide away from such reality. But it is true. I said the trophies will soon be thrown away. Um, I said um, uh, the name will soon be forgotten. I said, then what? I said, one day I will grow old. And, um, and one day I will have to go six feet under. I said, I, I would rather face that truth now than to wonder when I'm, you know, when I'm old. Like, right now I've got a lot of things that, you know, um, that's occupying me, you know, practice, game, game after game. Excuse me. I said, but there will come a time when I don't have those things occupying me. And I said, then I will have to answer those questions. I said, I would rather answer them now. So when it came to what then after I die, then I said, you know what? This becomes a spiritual issue. That's why there is religion ev everywhere. Because it's, it's because of that, and of that question. Where do we come from? What are we doing here on earth? And where are we going? That's where I just put it. For me, that's what it was for me. So, so I said, I've got to find answers to that. So because that became now the center of my life, finding that answer. Um, and it, it is a spiritual answer. I, cricket became kindled. So I started, whereas I would practice hour after hour, grooving my game. I started giving more time to prayer. So I knew that my cricket was going to be, uh, in my cricket was going to, 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 to get a dent because of that. So I thought, well, instead of going on like this, I think it's better. I just call it quits. And then I concentrate. Um, because such is my character also that when I, when I'm, you know, when I've got my eyes set on something, I go 100%. So I went to the managing director and I told him that this is the decision. This is what I've got on my mind. And he says to me, but Tatenda, how do we tell the world? We can't explain this to the world. And I said, whatever you put, you, you, you put in the paper, it's up to you. But this is the truth. So he then went on and he told the, the world that I have become a preacher. Now that would make sense to people. So that's what really transpired for me to, you know, to retire at 29. And then you've now live in Liverpool, United Kingdom. What, what, when, what year did you, did you move over? I know you also play some club cricket up there as well. Mm -hmm. So you've still got your hand in the game. Mm. I read that you, you've taken your bowling as well now. You did a hat trick last year in a, in a game. How are you enjoying yeah. it? So, so, so I went away for four years. Now I went totally away from cricket for four years. So I actually even moved city, um, bought a new property in Blawayo and moved away whilst I was on my search. Once I got my answers, I decided, oh, Zimbabwe started, you know, as a country, started going through a very bad economic situation. So my wife and I decided to move to the UK. 
Um, then, you know, when we moved to the UK, or just before we moved, I said, look, now I've got my answers. I could play some cricket. Um, you know, I could play some cricket again. So, um, so I looked for a club. We went to the U, got to the UK, to Liverpool, started playing some cricket again. You know, just from not even holding a cricket bat, um, you know, to I only practiced once and then you know started playing club cricket. So, so I did, and then I started, you know, um, you know, getting you know more into it. Now, when the world then heard that I'd started playing again, I mean, that made news worldwide. Zimbabwe Cricket then made contact with me to say, look, we need help. Um, you know, we're struggling to find good selectors. We're struggling to find good personnel that can help with the, you know, further development of the game. So I, you know, we, we chatted for about a year up until I then, you know, obliged and then you also run an academy in zimbabwe now as well isn't it and well i i don't run an academy i have constructed an academy right but the situation in zimbabwe is bad, very bad at the moment that i decided i opened it then i decided to close it after a month because there was no way of running it because they, I mean there's 94% unemployment. So I mean who's gonna be getting money to you know to 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 enroll? So if I am going to continue with it, I have to do it in such a way that it's um it's a charity and not you know run it as an academy. So I just decided to to close it and make sure that what either I'll wait for things to normalize back in Zimbabwe or I have to devise uh, a new way of doing it, which does not involve people paying to, you know, paying for the services. And then you also did a bit of coaching um, with Heath Street prior to the, the qualification period for the 2019 World Cup. <laughs> How did you enjoy that stint? And I know it was a kind of a UN, Zimbabwe and West Indies were the two main kind of playing nations involved. And am I correct in saying again, there's kind of old financial issues still there. Wasn't there a little incident that prior to the kind of the crunch game, half the players didn't turn up due to not being paid. And again, it must have been a huge disappointment for you. No, no, well, it's, it wasn't a disappointment for me, to be honest, because all these things that have been happening have continued to happen throughout. Virtually nothing has really changed, um, which, which now that is the disappointment that is, you know, that's there. Not that these, the players, this is what happened the day before. This, that, those things have been happening continuous up until now. So. So I was part of the team, not as a coach. I was helping, um, but I was a selector. Now, and then again, you know, things took another twist. Um, you know, some board members uh, asked me not to select. Um, and Heathstreet had gotten used to having me around and helping and, you know, 
we worked together when we played. So, you know, he always wanted to see me close by uh, because we always used to exchange, you know, notes and exchange ways of doing things. And I would always give him another voice. Um, so he just asked me, now I wasn't selecting during that period, but he just asked me to come. He said, look, it would feel, the boys would feel more confident if you are around, if they know that you are around. Um, they don't have to know that you're not selecting. So the players didn't know that I wasn't selecting. Um, but Streaky thought it would help the team if I was around. And then you also had a stint playing a bit of first-class uh, cricket in Sri Lanka. How did that go for you? And do you have aspirations to play a little bit more around the world moving forward? No. No, no, no. I didn't have, um, you know, I didn't and don't have aspirations for, for that. I did it. <laughs> it's, a, it's quite a funny story. I was speaking to my, you see, when I went away from cricket, I went totally away from cricket. My older boy, TJ, didn't know a lot of my cricket because I went totally away from cricket. Now, when we came over here, I mean, yes, you would know that Dad used to know that Dad played cricket and Dad played cricket, you know, played, played for Zimbabwe, but it didn't have meaning. You know, because it's not something that we talked about. It's not something... But then when he started hearing his friends talking about it at school, he then got interested and started asking me questions and things. And, things. and that's how he got hooked up playing. Now, as a father, I think I did badly there. I think I should have introduced the sport to him. Um, uh, the same way that I've now done with the younger boy, Kesha. Um, because... It was that interest that he got from his friends and people at school and people that he played against at clubs that got him to start asking a lot more questions about me. Now, so it was him that actually drew in cricket information from me. Now, so, so, so I went to pick him up from school. Then he said, Dad, um, today we didn't... So I said, how was school then he answered i said how was cricket practice he says uh, uh well it was raining so we watched um some highlights so i said oh okay said uh, would you watch he said oh it was this tall um tall left-handed batsman uh, he was hitting big six i said chris girl he said yeah, yeah, yeah that's that's his name oh you know him so it was quite funny that then i said yeah, yeah he's a friend of mine and he said, no, dad. I said, ah, okay. So I got the phone. So I just, I went to my conversations with Chris. So I said, um, is that him? And he said, yeah. Then I said, look, TJ, I, 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 you know, I should have introduced cricket to you. Um, you know, I was, so I explained what was going on. Then I said, but you know, your dad can still play this sport. Then um, and he said, really? I said, look. I'll play some first-class cricket just to show you that I can play this game and I'll start coaching you and playing a bit more with you. So, so I went to Sri Lanka. Um, you know, it was just really, I was doing it for my boy, to be honest. And then moving forward, how do you see the game in Zimbabwe moving forward? Is there talent 
coming through? Are there opportunities or does there still a lot have to be done outside of the playing field for that to come through? I have not come across any cricketer that has gone to Zimbabwe and, uh, and not said that there is talent in Zimbabwe. Not one. There is vast talent in Zimbabwe. But that talent is never nurtured simply because of a management team that is um, that doesn't know how to run sport in the country or how to run cricket in this in the country. Um, now, people would say, I know people can say, oh, you know what? These, um, you know, these, 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 uh, um, these workers or this management team or people that work for Zimbabwe cricket that are not good at the job must leave so that they give an opportunity to people who can run the sport. That's what an, any normal person would be saying. Now, we are talking of a country that has got 94% unemployment. Even if one knows that they're not good at the job, they're not going to leave the job. If they leave the job, how do they leave? So that is the true fact that they... So, I mean, as a parent, I want to... Well, as a cricketer, as a cricket lover, and as someone who wants to see the continuity of Zimbabwe cricket, I would agree and say, oh, you know what? Um, you know, people who can run the sport should run the sport. But let me take that hat off and put on a hat as a father and say, as a parent, I have to provide food on the table for my family. My kids have got to, I've got to pay school for my kids to go to school, right? I've got to provide a shelter for my kids. Now, if I'm wearing that, if I'm not being selfish and I wear that hat, I would think differently and say, you know what? As a parent, someone will be saying, I'll do whatever it takes so that I, I give something for my kids. So, yes, it's a mess. To be honest with you, it is a mess. But I understand how it is. It is like that. Somehow, maybe something will just happen somewhere along the lines that things will normalize and then, you know, there is enough jobs in the country, the economy is, is, is going well, and that, you know, that's how the, the cricket in the country, I think that's how it can survive. As it stands, I can tell you that the, the people, most of the workers are incompetent. So, Yes, the talent is there, um, but it's, there is no structures in place to nurture that talent. So what you will see, and you continue to see, is players that will do well, Zimbabweans that will, are going to will continue to do well in other countries. You will hear of Gary Balance, you will hear of De Grandom, you will hear of um, the Karen brothers, You'll hear of this boy that was just named Wisdom, you know, school player of the year. Um, he's a Zimbabwean here over in the UK. So you'll just hear 
Zimbabweans that are planted all over um, unless uh, you know things uh, change within the organization. Matatenda, um, thank you very much for your time today. What a story. Um, and thank you very much again for being so open. Thank you. So Neil Kagram, Cricket Last Stories to Tender Taboo. Thank you.